Thank you for downloading this podcast and welcome to Arrow Bandwidth, the podcast to help the channel better understand the trends, technologies and concepts facing the IT industry today. I'm your host, David Fern. We hope you enjoy this Arrow production. And please subscribe. Thanks. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Arrow Bandwidth. And uh, as per normal, I am joined by the man, the legend, Mr. Rich Holmes. Hello, hello. I'm sat in the corner, though, because we've got a couple of special guests. Yes, we are a bit, bit pushed for room in our new Bandwidth house today. So we have a returning favourite, Mr. Paul Vaughan. Hello, everyone, and I'm smiling today. <laughs> <laughs> he always he is. my advice. And another returning favourite, Mr. Vince Payne. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Hey, so, Vince. this is another one of those episodes, like we've had a couple of this season so far, which have been... Okay, so, so we covered SDDC off about six months ago, and uh, the first time around. And we were really enthusiastic about it, and we sort of spoke about all the good things and how amazing it was going to be and how it was going to change the world. But what I want to look at is I want to not have a critical or cynical view, but have a realistic view of, okay, where are we today? What's the reality of SDDC? And more importantly, what do our partners need to do to move forward and adopt it if they're not already? How can we get in customers more on board? What are the real business benefits behind it? All that good stuff. So I'm basically going to hand it over to Paul because Paul's always better at this than, uh, than I am anyway. So Paul, STDC, H1, tell mm-hmm. me about it. Well, that's very interesting because I've been talking to a lot of resellers uh, recently about um, how to a, adopt um, a SDDC uh, sort of stance to the, I- into the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And um, most of them, uh, you can see they, they, they get really uncomfortable when I explain to them that one of the key um, sort of aspects of that uh, new stance is the fact that uh, there's a little bit of reinvention that they have to do. And it's hard for successful businesses to to hear that message because, you know, to be fair to them, they've done really good things. But the world's moved on, and there's obviously this adoption curve, so people are at different uh, parts of that uh, um, cycle. Um, And the conversations we're having are are being uh, far more honest and brutal about um, the reality. So one of the questions we ask um, folks to answer is, tell us about the software-defined data center, and tell us what you think it brings to your customers. And of course, they say things like, if you're listening now, already in your mind, you'll be saying, oh yeah, the software-defined data center will bring um, a lot more efficiency, a lot more agility, definitely will be saving costs. When I ask folks, what do you mean by that? They say, well, you know, our customers won't have to pay as much, you know, that CapEx burden (laughs) will disappear. Uh, lots of things will be operationally expended, and also even those operating expenses will be less. Yeah, and I say okay. So, why do you say it's going to be less, and um, you know, um, it's going to be less to operate, and it's going to be um, less complicated? And then, of course, they say, well, because you know, the tools that you can use makes things far more agile and automated, and you don't have to have a lot of human beings getting involved in that. Oh, sorry to interject here, but this just sounds a bit to me like um, you've got your customers saying, well, we're adding no value whatsoever, and this is a drive to the bottom line. Yeah, and then I say to them, whatever you've just dis- explained to me, doesn't that go against everything that you as a reseller or value-added reseller 
is trying to achieve, isn't that sort of breaking your business model? Yeah. Because if you've got a great services business, your, your services business is there because there's some complicated stuff that your customers have to do that they can't do, and you're doing it for them, and you charge them for that. And more often than not, they, they get some sort of value out of that. But if the vendor or some other supplier is creating a really easy-to-consume thing or service that your customers can use, and there's no need for this human intervention uh, with you know special needs and special skills, like, for example, a storage expert who knows what a LUN is and a RAID group and mm. all of these things, if you don't have to build that. Mm. The customer can just assume that the storage is there for their virtual machine to use as and how they choose, then you're breaking your services business. And of course they sit and they pause and they oh, bugger, yes I, I am, aren't I? Mm. And it goes, so I suppose what, what I'm trying to get at is the resellers have to take cognizance of this and say, well, okay, so if we are helping our customers consume things that are easy and driving out costs, then you know, all those great storage things that we used to build, those big frames, well, if they can put it all into hyper-converged infrastructure and if they can just spin it up you know, within hours, mm. then that means we have to change, A, what we are selling to our customers, and B, how we position ourselves in the marketplace. That seems to be mm. sort of the, the, the discussion point now is the, the, the dawning of the realization that the world has fundamentally changed now and they have to think very carefully about how they position themselves in this new world. This isn't just a technology shift, it's a whole strategy and cultural shift for them as a business. It's a proper business transformation project. It's not just taking on another vendor, it's not just taking on another product line. Oh, absolutely. So uh, you know how folks say to, to us, um, we've, um, one of the things our customers like about us is that we've got this uh, four hour, three hour SLA, we can get them pricing really quickly. I look at them and I'm like, I'm not impressed with that as a consumer of services. I want the thing that I'm asking f a price for. I want the thing, not the price. Mm. I want the thing yeah. within four hours, you know. And if you look at um, um, a, a big UK retailer right now, you can order something up to midnight and then you can go and collect it the next day. Yep. Right? And that's not just for Amazon, is it? That's actually... No, that's just a normal... Tesco's. Yeah. Next, next, you know, these are um, multiple different types of resellers. That is, yeah, you're absolutely well, the resellers right. are available. Yes. And, you know, when I said, I said that to someone from New Zealand saying, hey, listen, yeah. you know, we've got this, you know, this is amazing. And they're like, well, oh, that's, you know, we do some next, next business day sometimes, but ordering up to midnight? And I said, yeah, and then they went on the website and they said, well, I don't see it anywhere. And I said, oh, oh it's sort of, and it's hidden away in two mm -hmm. lines point I was trying to make there is that they don't even think it's a big deal. It's just no. par for the course. It's mm. a table stake now yeah. that they can do this and offer it now. That doesn't negate the fact that they still need a high street presence and all of that. But mm -hmm. if there's a need for that, if I need to go to an event and I need an outfit tomorrow, I'm okay. I can make a decision at 10 p.m. Yeah. and I'm sweet. So this is what's happening. Organizations are changing. The fact that I can get something on the same day I order it, right? Uh, one of my colleagues in Harrogate uh, phoned me or WhatsApped me on a Saturday saying, hey, okay, you're coming up on Monday. Can you bring an SSD drive with you? You convinced me I need to put a SSD into my Mac and stuff. So I ordered on Sunday morning and I got it Sunday evening. I could do an, uh, 
uh, one of those cloning imaging things, and I had it for Matt the next day. Um, how on earth do I even begin to think of four-hour SLAs to just get the price? I want the thing, and I want to get on with it. Yeah. Now, yeah. If, on, sorry. if I am working that way, and that's my expectation, and so I'm not really an unreasonable person, mm. then what makes you think your customers are any different? Yeah, your customers have exactly that same expectation because they live in that world already. So you can't be saying things like, oh, it's going to take you four hours and we'll get a price from Arrow and then Arrow will, you know, will procure it. They want to be able to click their finger and spin up the service. Mm. So, I mean, it's embracing the on-demand economy, right? Mm -hmm. But, I mean, my question would be, does that same mindset exist inside of an enterprise as it does in a consumer? Because I think what we've spoken about today is very much a, a consumer-grade experience. Do you think that exists in the enterprise as well? Do they need it that quickly? Well, some of my experiences seem to suggest yes. Mm. Um, 2000, when was that? Blimey, was that 15 years ago? Yeah. Yep. So a decade and a half ago, I was sat in, in um, a production company back in Wellington, mm. and um, some producers came over with the uh, creative agency and said, look, we're going to start this um, TV commercial um, production, and we want... Um, uh, we want a whole bunch of users up and running, and we want you know laptops or thin clients or whatever, and we wanted yesterday, and they they didn't really need it yesterday, but they probably wanted it by the time we left that meeting. Now uh, that caused us a, quite a lot of problems. Unfortunately, we had to buy some laptops and always have spare ones and sort of get get it ready. But if we had some orchestration systems in place and some automation systems in place. Uh, all we would need to do is in the meeting with an iPad or tablet, ask the person, right, so who are these people that are coming? Let's put their first name and their surname and a phone number into the system, and the system would go and spit out usernames, domain users, uh, all the rights associated with the contractor, probably ping them a password to their mobile phone so that they can log into a particular uh, um, HTTPS site, change their password, if the, you know, the initial password. We could have done all of that stuff before we left the meeting. Mm. Now, I know that people are doing that right now, and if we could have done that 15 years ago, that would have transformed our business. IT would have looked like an enabler for the business, a proper enabler as opposed to, oh, God, is the IT people again saying, no, we can't do this. So if, if that was the need 15 years ago, yeah, it's, it's still the need now, and yeah. we know that people are supplying those needs right now with that level of automation. And you've seen that as well, Vince, haven't you, with some yeah. of the resellers who are building these automated systems into their, into their go-to-market um, solutions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's spot on. That's, that's something you saw a number of years ago, and today we see all kinds of things happening. You know, I think this kind of moved to the cloud agility, more service-orientated kind of um, services, being uh, digested by you know different people for different areas of the business, you know it's all becoming you know hybrid. Yeah, you know there's a number of different sort of uh, reasons now, and there is the capability absolutely to do that. So here's a loaded question: with with the advent and the ability to to provide that level of automation and improve on that level of service, mm. what are what are those businesses that are providing those services? What are they doing with the resource that they're freeing up? Because, you know what, do you need as many administrators? Do you need as many back-end staff? Does it give them mm. the ability to, to reinvest elsewhere in new services, or does it give them the ability to 
know, cost cut, save money. You know, mm. What what are you finding? Are you finding, I suppose, companies using it to say, right, we're going to drive some further change and invest moving forward, or like, thank you very much, I'll keep that there, and mm. we'll just deliver what we've always delivered. Well, it's the answer is the answer that you have to give for virtually anything in life. It depends on how people. <laughs> respond to various challenges, right? Yeah. So some organizations will say, oh, there's a perfect opportunity to get rid of some human beings that cost me a lot of money. That's yeah. fine. Now, that's a bit harsh on that particular human being. They probably have aspirations for careers and yeah, have yeah. mortgages and families they want to. So that's a bit harsh on them. Other organizations say, well, we love our people, but we'll just redeploy them in other areas. We'll, we'll grow their skills base and stuff. So actually, if you don't have to build a LUN or all that other stuff, that's fine. Mm -hmm. We can do some other smart things with you. Other folks um, say, well, we'll take our human beings and we'll deploy them into another area and we'll grow our business that way, um, you know, extend our market reach. There's all sorts of ways to approach yeah. this. I think the starting point is to, st uh, is to embrace some of these technologies internally. That would be a big start. Mm -hmm. So organizations should take a software-defined workplace, for example. Start to give people the flexibility, as I've always gone on about, um, uh, in previous uh, podcasts where you start to live and breathe the software-defined world so that once you start to experience it and you start to feel the benefits, you can then start to understand why other people might feel that same way. Mm -hmm. So it energizes you to go out to the marketplace and say, look, there are different ways to do this. Yeah, I'm living this yep. dream. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sitting in Milan in a piazza and I'm... I'm busy working. So you are the digital nomad. Right. <laughs> so if I can do this, you can do this too. But yeah. it, takes, it takes some courage to say that I have to reinvent my mm. culture. I have to reinvent what I consider to be infrastructure. So what are the social boundaries to adopting that sort of cultural change? Because obviously you've got, from a technology standpoint, the technology exists. But is there a, a social boundary as to working... In an on-demand, always available, um, work anywhere, anytime way? Do you think that's a way that lots of people could adopt to work? Or do you think it's limited to a specific number of professions or limited demographic? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, uh, folks ask me that question, and I always say, look, it doesn't. I'm not advocating that every single human being suddenly goes to work from home now, right? I'm saying there are some people who need some level of flexibility, um, there's enough research to show that that's, um, that's a given. Um, so you, you take a mature um, adult approach to this. You say, like, who are those people? Who are those quick, easy wins, that, like low-hanging fruit um, initiatives that I can go at and um, go and adopt a particular way of working and see how it works? And if that's something that I want to extend to other people in the business, then, yeah, that's fine. Brilliant. Um, but if you go to a high street for a uh, high street, um, retail outfit, for example, those people have to be in the store. They can't work from home. It doesn't no. make sense. But what you could do is you could say, hold on, wait a minute. Do they actually have to sit behind the till? Could I potentially do something with how my customers interface with my staff at point of sale? Yeah. Why must point of sale be this counter? Can point of sale not be the point at which I have a conversation, a meaningful conversation with my customer? And so maybe walking around the shop floor I'm engaging with someone, I'm talking to them, they are telling me their problem, I'm explaining to them which product fixed their problem to whatever extent it can be fixed to, mm. and at that point, when they're convinced, you say, 
well, you may as well transact right now. Bearing in mind that if you've got any pressure on you, you can just come back and yeah. swap it out. And that's exactly the model that you see in the, uh, in the Apple stores. So the guys in the Apple store wander around with a, an iPhone-based credit card reader, and literally they are the sales assistants, they are the till people, they are everything rolled into one human being. And I love it. Because literally, you're talking to one person, you get the best possible quality of service, you get your product, you get that high bar level of service you expect from someone like Apple, who mm. are very much a service-oriented, customer service-oriented company, and bingo. And they've adopted some technology. They've adopted their own Apple iPhones. Mm. Other phones exist. Whether they can do this, I don't know. Um, with a, essentially an NFC reader or a mm. strip card reader. Genius, right? And Oh, do you want your receipt? Oh, I'll email it to you. Done. Mm. I'm happy with that. That works very nicely for me. Mm. So, obviously, that's that's the, the goal, right? That's, that's mm. what we, where we want to get to. But can we spend a little bit of time talking about where our partners are today and, and sort of are, are our partners, if we had an opportunity like that, do we have a, a scalable partner base that could actually go and deliver this? Or is that still a bit of a limiting factor in this whole go-to-market strategy? If I'm being very, very yeah. you know, honest. So here's the thing, right? If you speak to just about every vendor we have on our line card, mm. and we talk about the software-defined data center, the software-defined enterprise, software-defined workplace, they will all probably say, yeah, yeah, we hooked into that. Uh, we, we're all about that. We can do that. I've spoken to hardware companies who say, oh, no, 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 we, I know we've got an appliance, but we've always been a software company. Everybody <laughs> seems to be on their bandwagon. <laughs> and that's okay. I understand that because you all want to be contemporary. You all want to be part of the, fashion. the extent terminology and stuff, yeah. like it was with cloud and all the other stuff. Of course it is. No problem with that. Um, you speak to resellers, and they too are all committed to, yes, we, we want to talk about the software-defined data center. We help implement the software-defined data center. And I say to everybody, I'm saying, listen, if you realize that the true goal of the software-defined data center is to make you redundant, <laughs> Uh, how do you begin to approach that? You know, people are not going to buy tin after a few more years. It's just not going to happen. No. And again, folks say, yeah, but I can't see that happening. That doesn't make sense. And I'm like, oh, yes. Like, remember when, if you're listening to this, you, some of you might remember the expertise you needed to have when you had to deal with autoexec.bat files and config.sys files because you had to deal with the higher memory um, allocation of drivers or DMA channels and IRQ settings when you had to put a sound card Showing your in. age now, Vaughan. Yeah, but remember those. I mean, I know people do. Do you know what? I don't know if it's the change or I can't uh. sweat, but please stop talking about that. But this is stuff that people used to put on their CVs. I know of people being headhunted who used to be able to do this. Now you laugh at that yeah. because yeah. there's no, no, no need right. for that. You are right. And it will eventually come. Now, I don't know when it's going to come because if I did... I'd be betting on it, right? Betting all my money. Well, we on were it. talking about that today, though, weren't we? We were talking about when when will that point come? Yeah, will we see it in the next five years? Is it going to be ten years? When will that point come where suddenly that utility model is suddenly we've been absorbed by it? Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because I thought you were going to say we were talking about what we put <laughs> on our CV. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. So, so, oh, go on. Sorry. No, so I was. Just, I, I again, I say to the resellers, it just be aware that this is coming and start to think about how you can pivot yourself to accommodate this. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you still need to sell some tin right now. There's no yeah. issue with that. Some of the tin you need to put in. Um, if you're spending two weeks putting stuff in, you need to think about that because there are people who are delivering solutions 
within hours. So maybe that might have to change a little bit. Okay. okay. Mm. Right, so I've got a question. So I was, I was looking at some of the bits and pieces of information from so trying to do my homework for, for some of the previous week's pod podcasts. And yeah, um, I was just looking at some of the, the acquisitions and mergers, and I came across um, an interesting one from, from VMware. So they re earlier in the year, they bought the Arkin Networks, which, and to paraphrase, to bolster the software-defined data center security and operations sort of feature functionalities that they have. And, and it just made me think and wonder, you know, when you start talking SDDC to resellers, you know, how does, how does, when does, indeed does it crop up in conversation, that whole aspect about, you know, securing the software-defined data center and, and um, how are people approaching it? You know, what, how does it come up in conversation? If at all. Well, I think one of the things they, because it, again, it's in the contemporary literature, so folks are either asking us about um, what we can do to help them address this um, phenomenon, mm -hmm. um, what sort of products fit into an SDDC play yeah. seems to be the approach. So we have to talk about hypervisors, and there, there's some key hypervisor players in the mix because obviously they extract things away from um, and isolate them away from the, um, the hardware layer. Um, and then what other vendors can we build onto that? Yeah. Um, and it's sort of a, a transition point because they sort of realizing that if they can build these solutions that are sort of you know, built in their factory as a starting point, then they yeah. can offer up something that can actually be turned on. So, you know, we've got organizations, for example, who take, I don't know, say VMware with a bunch of vRealize and the hypervisor, and they put it together with NSX and a bit of Trend Micros, deep security, and a bit of Arista switching, and, and they build these solutions uh, with the Intel stack. So, you know, an arrow thing that can't be bought anywhere else. But fundamentally what they do is they say, look, here is a solution for your private cloud that can be stood up in in hours or in a day because yeah. we've pre-configured it and works the way you need it. So that's sort of a, a stepping stone to something that will eventually mean that even that thing that they've built will become redundant. Yeah. Because you yeah, just, yeah. and it's really, I mean, uh, th there's this great book called The, the Big Switch. It's, um, you know, rewiring the world from Edison to well, uh, Copernicus or something. I forget what, what, the, what the actual, it's, the Big Switch is the name of the book. Yeah. And uh, the first chapter talks about Burden's Wheel, which is um, some guy invented this really big wheel near a river to, to somehow create energy so that he could um, uh, manufacture sort of nails and spikes for the railroads and all of mm. this stuff, right? And that was his differentiator. And yet, when you... If at the time you spoke to him and said, do you know that at some point all your competitors will be able to deliver a higher output than you, and it will all be very cheap, and you don't have to be at a river to get the power source, and it can be from anywhere. Um, they would have looked at you and said, well, you're nuts, mm -hmm. you're mad. How, or everyone gonna build a wheel? But what happened was the, the utility nature of electricity changed the whole framework in which you considered where you got your differentiating power from, right? Yep. And, uh, and now, the burden's wheel is rusting away in a field somewhere. And and that's, what, 100 years ago, maybe? Yeah. Edison to Google, by the way. Yeah, that's the one. But yeah, 
couldn't be Edison to Copernicus, could it? Back in time. Back in time. But there's I the point. I thought you'd be ironic. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's the the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. Folks say to me, you know, what? You've got to have storage. How can you do it? You know, because you need the security and you need the multi-tenancy, and the security is not there. It's like, yeah, it might not be here today, but it just takes one. One organization like Intel and Micron, I know there's a bit of um, fudder and um, what's this thing called Crosspoint. It's not quite a thousand times yeah. faster and more durable than NAND Flash, but it's mm. you know it, it, it. When you get that order of magnitude of pr uh, progress in mm. in our sector, it's, it's profound, isn't it? Suddenly, there's no need to worry about whether you have persistent virtual desktops or not because you just got enough IOPS forever, right? It doesn't matter uh, whether you need to put things in memory because your storage and memory is. 20 times faster than DRAM uh, could have been. Yeah. It's as fast, yeah. almost as CPU cycles, if yeah. you, you know. Once that happens, all of those things go away. Yeah. It, whatever company is now selling you a license to do some sort of memory um, juggling to make it easy to, to handle all that IOP workloads will just disappear. It won't be an issue. Yeah. Just like now, nobody thinks of a DMA channel when they buy their new iPad or... But it's still there. They still yeah. have to deal with all of their conflicts, but it just doesn't exist anymore for, for, yeah. for folks. Yeah, and that's one of the interesting things, isn't it? I think uh, systems and services, other than, of course, our fantastic producers, uh, MacBook, which, which took a bit of a turn for the worse today, expect a certain level of underlying performance. And it's interesting. I think um, one of the trends I've seen recently is Lots of um, software, as it's upgraded, is expecting a certain upgrade cycle of the hardware underneath. And actually, what I, one of the trends I've seen recently is how software is, is sort of progressing on, progressing on, progressing on, mm. but the hardware refresh cycle isn't progressing on. Mm. So actually, what you're finding is software that's expecting a certain amount of memory or disk speed, mm. and then essentially those applications saying, all right, chuck all this into memory, and then when it fills memory up, just chuck it into disk. It's all SSD, so it doesn't matter. And if you've got like a last generation Mac or a last generation server or a last generation Windows PC, you're like, oh, um, yeah, I don't have that much memory actually. So, because code is inefficient anymore. Code is basically saying memory's commoditized. Memory, I've got eight, nine, 10, 16, 32 gig of memory in a laptop. I don't care. Just crack on. 3D cross point's going to make it so fast it won't even matter anymore. I think the only, the only thing that differentiates 3D cross point from being storage or memory is literally your distance from it. And we mm. still can't get quite get around that pesky speed of light thing, mm. um, but outside of that, you're good to go. So it's fascinating the way that some things are moving on really, really fast, but some things aren't. So bringing right back to sort of where we are today and what we are seeing, because obviously it's always good to see some in the wild stuff, you yep. know. So so what have we seen? Right. What are success stories have we had um, with our partners that have sort of really we can take on as a sort of was case studies and, and other things that, that partners, other partners who are looking and saying, don't really know where, don't really know where to get started. They might have had a, mm. a sort of false start. What can what can they do to sort of accelerate their strategy? Well, I think what I've seen is that uh, the the type of engagement between Arrow and the reseller community has changed. Um, there's no longer this um, requirement to tell us what the product does and all of this. The enablement has uh, gone into more of a consultancy. Um, type of um, uh, engagement where we, we're helping them as businesses grow their business or stabilize their business, understand what the market is doing, giving them some of that thought leadership and proper thought leadership. None of this 
nonsense of, oh, yes, Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so, you're doing really well as a business and, you know, we can patronize you. We, we're saying, look, this is the reality. Here are all the, um, you know, the life cycle of what's going on in, in your world. This is how it's changing. This is what the, um, the analysts are saying. This is what the research is saying. We've got people in Arrow who can do this uh, now. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting. I, I see the guys in my team turning around and, you know, talking to partners whether they're working on a project or talking about a next iteration of a service you know, it's a lot more common than it used to be to, to see them instead of going yes yes well we'll do it this way and we do yes you want to do that and we'll do that and you all oh, you want to use that yes we'll use that so well, why do you want to do it like that yeah. not being uh, obstructive on purpose but being able to turn around and having the confidence to turn around and challenge you know what what the customer says they want yeah, because yeah. somebody comes to you with a bill of material, how do you make the connection between that and what the what the end client's actually wanting to achieve? Yeah, yeah. So we're encouraging uh, resellers to build um, self-service portals. Uh, it's mm. really important because people are used to serving themselves. It's yep. really easy, right? Yeah. So that's uh, something that they have to do. So take away some of the costs associated with a human being quoting for something. I mean, seriously, if you want a vSphere license, why can't you just click on a few things and just get on with it? Or whatever license that might be, right? That y- We need to take away whatever that commoditization point is, take the human being I mean, out of that. And then, um, there was something else I wanted to say about that. Um, so, for example, one of the things we were doing with uh, organizations and saying, stop having webinars, for example, because, you know, webinars are focused around um, not fixing your problem, but um, aligning whatever you want with my my calendar, for example, right? Yeah. So I'm the guy that does the webinar, so everyone must be ready on a Thursday morning at 10, a, 10 a.m. So we use the Arrow enablement uh, program or the platform where we can deliver uh, conversational videos yep. to partners, to end customers, whenever they need to watch it, which yeah. is completely different, yeah. again, from how you might go about... Uh, Trying to address your market, yeah, yeah. rather than trying to uh, think, all right, uh, yeah, I can log off at uh, log on at six p.m. on a Thursday because uh, it's been broadcast out of the states. Yeah, yeah. and the truth is, uh, you know, for me, self-service portals, hundred percent. But really, what you want is, is almost every um, platform today has some element of, um, you know, capability to integrate into a self-service portal, and all mm-hmm. this is for itself. So here's the thing, right? I've added. 10 new, 10 new staff or I've added new service, I want my system just to order its own licenses. I will basically drag and drop. And you know what? It's really weird. We had this technology going on about five years ago now where you could literally just select an application, drop it into onto your platform, and it would just go away and, and create itself. Have that. Order your own licenses. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to interact with the portal. I want my system to interact with the portals via API. I want my system to to build itself, scale itself, and then also give those licenses back at the end of the month and just literally give me a cost. Mm-hmm. Do me Amazon behind the firewall, or more importantly, just give me Amazon and let me crack on. But obviously, that sort of <laughs> takes us out of the loop. Um, <laughs> Doesn't too far just yet. Yeah. 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 Now you're but going to that, that the future, the utility yeah. future. Let, let Vardy yeah. do that. Let could you, do could that. you give me 10 years, please? I just need to finish my career. <laughs> I, need to <laughs> I need to pay off my mortgage. 10? <laughs> 10? Well, I'll take five. Well, I think yeah. we'll see it in 10 years, mate. I think you'll be yeah. very surprised. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, definitely. I think we're still seduced by the IT game, aren't we? You know, we like the IT, we like the flashy stuff that's coming out. I can't wait for Intel and Micron to actually deliver on this thousand yeah. times, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Whereas 
our customers, customers, so Arrow's customers, customers, mm. don't give a rat's ass about the tech, right? No. Again, think about those people, that the creatives that came into uh, Silver Screen uh, 15 years ago. All they cared about was getting a username so they could get onto the network because they were location scouts. So they were taking cameras out to go and shoot some interesting locations. They were art uh, department people who were needing to build. Uh, they needed to get a chippy or carpenter, bricklayer, whatever to build, whatever they needed to build. These were the people that uh, needed to use the tools. And that desktop thing that they needed, really, it didn't matter whether it was a Sony Vaya or a exactly. laptop. They and just needed desperately to need to be also not behind the firewall. Because yeah. as soon as you put things behind the firewall, you're in a real problem. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's. Uh, I think we've uh, we've definitely covered this one off, and I think it's uh, something that we're going to keep coming back to because, <laughs> to be quite frank, it's one of those topics that I think will evolve over time, will continue to evolve until finally we've kicked it into a corner and everyone is well and truly software-defined. Well, but <laughs> here's the thing, and I personally wasn't around for this particular escalation, well, at least to have an opinion. I'm sure exactly the same conversations went on when virtualization was its infancy, and I'm talking pre-sort of version 3.5 ESX, version mm. pre-version 3 of ESX, mm. when it really was a, huh? Put all your eggs in one, you know, server basket. I remember installing that. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> but but I, also, I also remember people <laughs> saying tools. to me, are you, are you mad? You can't run this on there. You can't run, you can't run anything that's worthwhile on there. You know, you, the limitation, 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 limitation. Now, if someone comes to me and says, I want to run something on a dedicated server, you look at them and go, are you mad? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the world we're going to go to. Yeah. Mm. No. Well, awesome. I, and I think the other thing is our customers' customers are completely changed. That's the yeah. thing. You know, well, they're, they're, they're driving so much innovation. Exactly. Due to us. And I always go back to this simple term, that the ubiquity of technology now, the ubiquity of, of and the proliferation of technology into every single modicum of every single organisation means that no one, no IT or self-respecting IT organisation that actually wants to survive can... Um, care about every layer of the stack. It's like buying a car. When you go in and buy a car, when I go and buy a car, I care, and I'm a car guy, I quite like my cars, but when I'm buying, okay, when I'm buying my wife's car, um, <laughs> as in the one that the children are going to mess up, she likes cars as well, but when we're buying the, when we're buying the children's car, let's leave it at that, when the we're buying the carrier. kids' car, the people Keep digging, carrier. keep digging. <laughs> right? The most important thing in that car is the brakes, right? Because I want to make sure my kids are safe. Do I care what manufacturer of brake they use? Do I ask them about the brakes? Do I even have a look through the alloy wheels and look at the brakes? No. Because I he expect... Does really. He no, does, really. He does. So, come on, bit I, the point. Sorry I about that. I don't care, because I just expect Ford or Nissan <laughs> yeah. or Vox or whomever, other vendors, you know, other car manufacturers exist, I expect them to have done the due diligence and created the car the outcome, the thing that's yes. going to take me from A to B. What I care about is the MPG, the color, and, well, the sound system. Um, <laughs> it needs to be loud, to come, loud enough to drown the kids out. That is all I care about. And actually, the truth is, we need to make the IT industry more like that. We need to build a level of trust with the end users so that they care about the, the speed and, the, diver and the, the way that the system can be actually deployed in the wild and use the user experience and that's about it okay if the user experience does the trick don't worry about all the layers in between because that's our job and we are that 
you know, vehicle manufacturer that's going to pick the best engine and pick the best brakes and mm. pick the best wheels and pick the best exhaust system and the best windscreen wipers. You know, we're making all those vendor things and we've got people who know and understand storage arrays, inside out and back to front, virtualization, inside out and back to front, analytics, inside out and back to front. Just don't stress, let us get on with that and yeah, crack on. And on that bombshell, hey. I always like to have the last word, as you well know. So, yeah. Boys, thank you ever so much for coming in. I know right, that this is, it's been a, a, been a busy day for you guys, so thank you very much. Vince, thank you. Paul, thank yeah, you. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Richard, well, Mom it's, sort, it's, it's sort of your job. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm going to say, don't thank me. I just <laughs> have to, well, I think I have to be here. I've not been turned away yet. So. No, no, yeah. no, I'd probably have to be there. Yeah. And obviously, thank okay. you very much, Hannah for your uh, assistance and time again. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And on that note, we will speak to you next week. Have a great week, and I'll see you soon. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye. Bye.